and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Rachel Conway. This week, we sat down with Lucy Collette, Managing Director at Classic Challenge, to hear about the challenge event landscape over the last few years and what the future looks like. It's no surprise that multiple COVID lockdowns greatly impacted challenge events, but a feeling of optimism appears on the other side, as well as providing event companies the chance to reassess the portfolios to improve their challenge event offerings for potential participants. For anyone looking to revive, refresh, or even begin to build a challenge event portfolio at your organisation, Lucy provides great insight into how to make this successful. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good is a fundraising platform helping businesses raise funds for charities through their sales. The platform makes a legal agreement needed for businesses to fundraise from sales quick and simple, saving charities time and resource and enabling them to raise more unrestricted income. Pop to workforgood.co.uk to learn more and book a free demo. So here is Lucy. So today I'm very happy to be joined by Lucy Collette, Managing Director at Classic Challenge, to discuss the future of challenge events. Um, how are you doing today? Uh, very good, thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. Brilliant. Yeah, happy to have you. Um, I think there's some very interesting things that we'll be discussing today that our audience will be able to take a lot from. So if you don't mind, can we start by hearing a bit more about your background and, and what led you to your current role at Classic Challenge? Yeah, so um, I think... Challenge events is an, an industry that you don't necessarily, you're not at school thinking, oh, I'm going to work in challenge events when I grow up. It's um, quite a small industry, sort of quite niche when you actually get in there. Um, and so it wasn't something that I was really aware of. I think to, like it's been going in the background and obviously it had a real peak a while ago, but I wasn't really aware of it as a sector to be in. Obviously you're aware of travel and you're aware of events and um, charity. And so I was kind of looking for a role. I used to live in Australia, so I moved back here and I was looking for a role in one of the three. And then actually just by fluke, saw an advert for this role, well, for a role at, um, it was called Classic Tours then, um, as like an assistant and it was sort of involved uh, putting together travel packs and things like that, liaising with charities. And I was like, oh, that seems like a, an interesting mix of the three different industries that I'm trying to get into. Um, so that was, the company was based in Holloway Road then um, in North London. So I... Joined there, got the job there, then moved up to project manager there, um, then became head of ops there. Um, and actually, it's nearly 10 year anniversary of being involved in the business. Um, I took on the company in 2020. Obviously, COVID was unfortunately the time not to work in travel or mass participation. Uh, mass participation, sort of the way the business was also sort of um, expanding into over the last few years. So um, unfortunately, we were all made redundant and the business closed as it was. Um, I then realised I did really like my job and a lot of it was based on my relationships with quite key clients. Um, so, yeah, I sort of resurrected, I suppose, what it was and sort of reached out to a few of the um, key charities that I work with. They were still willing to go with me as a sort of individual at Classic. And yeah, we're a few years in now. We did um, started started small in 2020. Um, I think everyone then thought 2021 was going to be more successful than it was for events and things like that. So we got a few off the ground last year, got 14, and then this year looks good too. So yeah, it's um, it's sort of mainly day-to-day, me and my dog. And then um, obviously there's a lot of like freelancers, um, mechanics, guides, medics, doctors, drivers, and things like that that all come together throughout the event season to sort of build the events. Um, And it's quite nice because but obviously quite a lot of people would feel it's quite lonely when you're working singularly but then obviously throughout the season coming together in large teams of some of the events I work on I've sort of got up to 50 people working on them which is always nice and then you sort of get that buzz back which is good. 
Yeah, and Lucy, I think that's just fascinating and, and so brave to have kind of seen that there's there was something there and it wasn't right to just completely let it go and and, and resurrect it, like you said. And I think a lot of charities are now uh, very grateful that you mm-hmm. did that because they can continue working with you as well. So, I mean, I think next question, we don't really need to labour the point of lockdowns and how that's impacted challenge events. You've alluded to it, and I don't think it's any surprise uh, that that's been a big impact for the last few years but what has the initial response from charities been uh, once they were kind of legally able to put on challenge events again so like sort of touched on there it was I think in 2020 people I mean no one really realized how long it would go on for so I mean I remember being in conversations early 2020 because things we cancelled in the summer thinking that we'll put them on in October September and I vividly remember one of the like quite half in one of the charities being like oh I think it I don't think it'll be done by then and I remember being like he's been very overdramatic like let's just reschedule it for then and it very quickly was like no this is a very serious thing I think charities were already sort of I mean they're already bitten by the first wave of everything being cancelled and then there was that sort of feeling of optimism thinking maybe at the end of the year and then after that hit every uh, caution became a real key factor so I think after people realized actually like you can't even like that cancel like the second lockdown in the winter of 2020 affected people in a much more intense way because I think the first time it was like oh we've had to cancel events before this will go but having to like reach out to your database and your fundraisers and your participants for a second time within a year to cancel something you'd postponed made everyone then just really cautious and I think caution is the key to, um, so even when things started to ease there was a real feeling of well can we really put our people through this again like the fundraising efforts people have gone through even though yes the government say we can put this event on confidently and then possibly needs to be social distancing we'll do things in start waves and even from my side obviously I was keen to as safely as possible obviously not break any rules like that, but get events out and in conversations with charities discussing oh well we the legislation shows we can now do this and obviously the good thing about the events I do is, is they're outside um so there was quite a lot of um discussions about how um some of the events do sort of mass participation um we would reduce the numbers we would put the, obviously you'd put additional cleaning in for touch points we do um distant start ways we do small groups and things like that and even when you're sort of going through all that with charities it's still that feeling which I completely understand from their point of view but what if it changes again because obviously the government changed for reasons that people may or may not agree with the government changed their opinion very quickly on the bounce um and so charities like I, I really think in 2021 people were optimistic but there was just a huge layer of caution so even by the end of 21 um you were able to do things. Obviously, we hadn't had, I mean, all the lockdowns blurred me. But you hadn't yes, had. Yes, um, same, it's very hard. You've done well to even name check some, and I'm like, oh, yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, where did that come from? But yeah, by the end of 21, I mean, I managed to get out four events. Um, but even then, we were sort of working on, um, we were working on events earlier in the year that didn't happen. And I know other events did happen, and some people were able to sort of, Get little pockets of work in and I think summer in 21 a few things lifted again um, yeah I think sort of the, the main response from charities was caution and then as 2022 came out um which is just last year though now we're already in February of 23 um they there was then a renewed I think people people sat out 2021 as it were like 2020 was dealing with it all 2021 charities were sort of hunkering down and we'll move on to sort of the evolution of that which was a lot of virtual um events but 2022 was charities then like pumping at the bit to get back out i think they've been cautious in 21 rightly so 
um, and they'd had to be protect like a lot of the charities I work with their um their database are vulnerable like they they would have been at risk if we were going if we were trying to put events on split felt we couldn't then be encouraging that but then 2022 when things were and obviously COVID is around and things like that but when we were very confident to be able to safely put events back on um charities were excited by it and kind of every, every door seemed to open again so whereas charities that the year before had been very timid about it they really wanted to get back to physical events um and then also it gave us time to like review things because obviously by then some events had been two years out so staff turnover had happened um i was taking on sort of um roles that I haven't had before so sort of fresh eyes on things were also a good thing for quite a lot of events that um, used to be just year on year um and it was also like keeping keeping safety in mind from a participant point of view made you just sort of have an overall holistic view of how the how certain events would be going like I work on a few events in the game for 15 years and since coming back into them in 22 it, myself being new and the whole charity team being new it was quite a good like it was there was sort of a feeling of optimism and sort of like re, not necessarily rebranding but it's reapproaching and getting this back out for the physical events because participants I mean some people are sort of serial charity challenges they go on all sorts of things so and for some people it's sort of their social life or it's how they would meet people or their whole year is a fundraising goal towards a big event or things like that and there are a lot of people like that and so for two years of those and so like the smaller charities especially those people are key to them like that like individuals fundraising that they do whether it's on um, obviously on a really small scale like bake sales and non-uniform days at schools and the other that's like those people are really important just as much as the people that sort of work at a corporate and get match funding and things like that so I think charities were very much aware that they needed to re-engage with those people um after so long of possibly like having to deal like obviously a lot of charities had to make their own redundancies or reduction and things like that but I think when you were able to put events on again charities were just very keen to try and recapture that audience that they had because obviously at the start of 2020, I mean, like certain challenge events were sort of booming still. So it was sort of trying to engage that audience that you had and really like putting them back on that like fundraising path. Yeah, that's really interesting, Lucy, especially the kind of like the cycle of the thought process, that kind of, like you said, that kind of like just dealing with it, then the caution and then the kind mm. of next step of like being excited and engaged again. Again, I think that's really interesting to hear. So what has been the biggest change in the events market do you think post-covid um I th- well one of the things that i think is the biggest change and i think covid just accelerated it i think even before covid the big international overseas trips were already becoming a thing of the past um so like 10 years ago when i joined classic there was uh, you'd look on sort of the events list of the database and we used to send sort of back-to-back groups of 100 200 riders to sort of uh, tanzania on bike rides and things like that and they were incredibly successful for the charities and obviously participants and things like that but those sort of events were already sort of on the decline i think for various reasons like financial and also environmental impact like as a nation we're becoming more aware of sort of what these flights are and um the impact that yes a charity might make money from that but also flying out and it's it's that you're in a difficult place there because the charities make a lot of money from an overseas event like that but then the environment and it's sort of weighing that up and I think whereas corporates as well like a lot of big corporations now have um zero carbon policies or trying to do that and then for them to then justify whereas back in the day they'd send a corporate team of 50 off to do like Kilimanjaro or something I think that's already and it's really hard for me because obviously I like those are the events that are great those are the events are exciting and things like that and 
you do see a like charities see a much bigger ROI on something big like that that's like a big box ticket that people can see compared to something sometimes and not necessarily all the time but um sometimes something much on a much smaller scale but I think those events were already they were already on the decline regardless of COVID and obviously COVID then stepped in there and obviously all flights were cancelled and all travel was cancelled that big way so I think it kind of accelerated that and then because of everything that even whether it was a charity challenge or a personal holiday people were really burnt with rebooking and things like that and I think it made people realize um that travel is a huge privilege and I think it makes people really appreciate that um in a big way and I think also it charities are then a lot more cautious because I think even when I was explaining that charities were cautious with returning to sort of UK style events I mean some charities must have lost a hell of a lot of money with things like big overseas trips that were booked. And obviously the, the minimum sponsorship fundraising things for trips like that is so much higher um and also obviously as a nation now we're living through a cost of living crisis and I think it's then much harder for people to sort of engage a four thousand pound minimum sponsorship target um to go somewhere like that and it's it's hard because I think those trips are the ones that are trips of a lifetime and the charities do really get a lot out of them but you're sort of between a rock and a hard place with mm. sort of how that works um I think the other um change into um what has happened is the rise of the virtual challenge um, some charities were very um other charities i work with already had quite large virtual challenge databases and were sort of already very successfully doing those so when events got cancelled those charities were very easily able to shift because they already had the experience of that other charities obviously were then completely left like if your events calendar has been decimated whether it was third party or bespoke event you've got no revenue stream from that fundraising side charities very quickly had to be like oh well virtual is a thing that's what we need to um, reach out and obviously I think some people that might just think oh well virtual is basically then just free isn't it, it doesn't take any work from the charities but that's not necessarily definitely not how it works obviously charities that didn't have any knowledge of virtual had to completely sort of educate themselves they had to set up the platforms for that and the thing with virtual is it's so much harder to engage with the people because you're not seeing them physically on an event you've got to keep that supporter journey going throughout and make them feel engaged to your charity and your cause so I think and I think it, it also the positive side of the virtual challenge is charities were able to reach people all over the world for um, some causes um, that they would necessarily wouldn't have before. And I think it's, it did then lead to last year when we did put physical events back on um, charities, nearly all of them, actually, they did both. So whereas we'd have a physical ride. Um, charities also still had a virtual ride and there was different ways sometimes it was just sort of in the background but sometimes it was fully engaged throughout the event so we would like catch up with the virtual riders in the morning there would be quite a lot of sharing of social media and things like that um obviously social media is still a big part of things like this and quite like um interactive facebook groups and things are always very good for that and people are posting their virtual rides and their virtual training rides and people are joining strava groups and things and i think but yeah, virtual, the rise of the virtual challenge helped charities to engage with audiences that they might have been overlooked before. They just didn't, like, they weren't, obviously, when you're sort of going on your marketing and you're doing targeted ads to certain areas of London, because you've got a Thames path walk or things like that, then suddenly you're able to actually say your event, the, the concept of it's around waterways or something like that. You're then engaging with people all over the UK and encouraging people to go and see, like, walk by water or do a certain distance and things like that. And I think that really um, opened up charities markets and I, I think it's good to see that quite a lot of them have kept that kept those doors open rather than now just returning oh we can do our third party London marathon places again we don't need to bother about that but even the marathon like one of the biggest events in the UK and they now have the virtual marathon which is huge and people do it on that day and it's always great to 
like just diverse or pioneering that you can do both yeah definitely you know I think that's some really interesting things and the, that hybrid's overuse as a term maybe but that kind of hybrid model of a, a virtual and in-person event is is something that I think is really interesting as well um you've touched on quite a lot there Lucy but do you think there will be any other big trends in the market in the next three years so I mean it's interesting the way that um challenge events even in my time of being involved in them have sort of gone in peaks and troughs because we always say um so like Bradley Wiggins invented cycling in 2012 in the Olympics because after that like cycling like because the British cycling team was so strong cycling became phenomenally successful for like that that period of time like 2012 2016 2017 um and at points I think there were statistics that like more deals were being done on like bike rides than golf courses and things like that and it became like we, um, I used to be involved in an event that was like a mass participation London ride, peaked at sort of 5,000 riders and things like that. But then, again, there was then sort of a decline of things like that because people that were riders had already engaged. And they obviously Ride London um, just dominated the market for so long with sort of mass participation bike ride. And cycling is obviously still very popular, but then it sort of, people then look, sort of looked for their next challenge. And then triath- there was like the rise of the triathlon. And that, like triathlon was a term that a few, like you know, 15 years ago was quite like, very much not as in the public sector like the charity sector as it is now and now it's like a key thing in a lot of people's challenge event calendars and things like that um so that sort of happened and then obviously covid then made everything stripped back to well i think like what covid showed the uk had a lot of opportunity and walking events in the uk and cycling events in the uk it's really showcased what the uk had to offer in a big way and i think there was then a return to oh well you don't have to like go and do an event running around the Sahara there's things you can do in the UK so I think that was a, that's definitely a trend that has stayed and I hope it will stay because unlike nice nice weather in sort of the Lake District and sort of the South Coast and things like that you can be anywhere in the world and you can set the challenge event as hard or as easy as you want when you work with the client so I think making the most of the UK for various reasons that I said before is definitely something that's gonna stick around um I think the other thing that I'm only very loosely involved in I only operate one of these events but um ultra events so i mean ultra events as well as sort of something that wasn't necessarily on the travel but challenge market in such a big way even like pre-covid really um but now there's sort of ultra marathons or ultra ultra marathons and sort of increasing that distance um and there's quite a few companies that have stepped into that sort of gap in the market and are doing really well um because people people are always looking for that next adrenaline fix i think and i think that the because the thing with ultras is they can kind of go as hard as you want. You can just keep going. Like distances can just keep increasing and elevation can keep going up. Um, but I think they're really popular. And again, they're sort of kind of entwined with when cycling was on the rise or when triathlons were on the rise. There were sort of then like obstacle races were a huge thing. And they still are. But you still, again, you hear about them less. Um, and they're still around. They're still doing well. But it's sort of, I think there's like trends. And I think they'll come back because, again, they especially don't really work with us or very close to post-COVID world because of all the touch points and things like that. But I think there was an absolute appetite for there and they dominated for so long. And obviously from them, there was quite a lot of um, growth into others, like slightly smaller ones and things. So I think obstacle or chat, like chat, because you can also make them as hard or as easy and they can be unique. Like you can have an obstacle thing based on water. You can have like, you can theme things and there's sort of winter versions or Halloween versions, things like that. And I think that, that like obstacle challenges are very adaptable. Um, and I think ultra events will definitely just continue to grow just based on the fact that they are the opportunities just keep going. Um, I think cycling will come, not that it hasn't, cycling, don't get me wrong, cycling hasn't gone, a lot of my events are cycling, but I think 
the trend in sort of mass participation in cycle rides will come back as well. Um, it's sort of just, you can sort of see how it sort of does go in peaks and troughs. And then you've got the sort of staple things like marathons that have just kept going. Um, and I think that um, there's quite a like large pocket of fundraisers and participants in the UK that box ticking is a thing for good or bad reason. <laughs> People like to, and I think for fundraising, it's, um, it's very easy to think of, um, oh, well, I'm going to do that. But you need your, you need your um, sponsors to know what it is you're doing. There's no point doing some niche peak in the, what well, we used to try and find alternatives to do things when we were doing things in Nepal and things like that. And we very quickly found that doing a like slightly more niche, unheard of peak in Nepal, although it's an incredible and it takes like the main pack away from sort of the Annapurna Trail or something like that, it didn't work as well for fundraising because people don't know it. They haven't heard of it. Whereas people can sort of understand, oh, you're going to Everest Base Camp doing Annapurna or same with Kilimanjaro or something so we've tried that a little bit in the UK as well where we sort of tried to shift away and do certain Lake District walks which are a bit different but you do then you have to sort of appeal to your to the people's sponsors as well and you do have to so I think a, a trend or just sort of a thing that will return to post-Covid is sort of those classic things like National Three Peaks, Yorkshire Three Peaks, South Downs, Coastal Park like things like that because Sponsors will have heard of them and that's what people need. Um, obviously, it all comes down to when your sort of friends or family or colleagues or hosts or does a thing for their just giving account or something like that. And you you want it to like hit, you want the cause to hit home and you also want the challenge that they're doing. Like you want people to be able to understand that. Because if it's sort of a niche thing that like, people can't put quantify in their mind, they're like, oh, that's not worth sponsoring. Whereas it's something they've heard of. I think that's the key. So I think although there's sort of different trends that will come and go, I think something important is making sure that it's something people have heard of. And I think that is a key part of it, really. Yeah, I think that's a really good piece of advice, Lucy. Like you said, people are quite often looking for differentiation, but sometimes the reason that things are so popular is because they work and to not like kind of stray too far from that. You've definitely touched on this as kind of answering your questions as we've gone. But um, for the final question for today, for any charities looking for advice on how to improve, improve their challenge events portfolio, what advice would you give? Um, a kit. Well, the main thing I would say, and I say this to charities all the time when we're sort of discussing possible ideas, is knowing your audience. If you don't have um, cyclists or swimmers or something like that on your database, but that's what you're selling, then it's just going to fall on deaf ears. You need people that can engage with your concepts, especially if you're launching a new event. You want people, you want supporters that will um, see it as a warm lead and take it from there, <laughs> recruiting friends and family and things like that. And especially if you're a smaller charity and Doing a bespoke event is a huge deal. I mean, it's a huge deal for any charity, but for a small charity, that's a really big deal. And obviously the initial outlay of something sort of setting up the event, marketing it, or doing a recce and things like that, or engaging a company like Classic, for instance, like there's a cost there. So if you're putting an event out that you already don't have a warm reception for, then it's you're going to make it harder for yourself. And I think that's, um, and I think, again, for smaller charities, there's a lot to be said for, if you don't necessarily know what, like say you've stepped into um, a role and you don't necessarily know what your audience is into because you haven't done challenge events before or things like that, it's testing the audience, testing the market that you've got. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of smaller charities have very good social media groups and things like that or um, newsletters and things or like quite an engaged audience, especially sort of the more smaller local charities, as it were. And people love to like, well, people love giving their feedback. <laughs> so I think it's um, engaging with individuals sort of, would you be interested in it as a, a very small charity that I'm working with at the moment that are, they are putting a bike ride on um, and they think they've got the right sort of audience for it. But we've had to massively adapt what they were planning because they were thinking, oh, we'll do an, like a hundred, I mean, a hundred bar bike ride is a huge deal for any sort of event. But I was sort of reining that in in quite a big way because I was like, well, do you have, because a hundred miles is 
a lot, for instance. So there's no point. You need a group of very, very, very keen sort of club riders to be able to do a hundred mile ride, like just off the back. Um, and then sort of after realizing, I mean, now we're doing three different distances. We're doing a 20, a 40 and a 60, all within one day, engaging different parts of their audience in different pockets and sort of going out to a more like family friendly 20 mile option and then building something up bigger and sort of focusing more on the finish line rather than the finish time, as it were, um, in doing that. And I think also just being aware that um, cycling events and walking events are very different and they sort of go for very different markets and sort of walking events are like can be very accessible um, and sort of knowing location of where you want your event to as well. I think accessibility is a key thing because like I've sort of touched on, sort of lo- there's lovely walking events to do in the Lake District or up in the Highlands, but then it's accessibility for your participants. Like, is it reasonable for them to get there? Like, and I think one of the things that charities do very well is sort of you can focus a lot of stuff on a one day mass walk, which is great. And you can do huge ROIs from that, especially if the challenge is worth it. But then your participants or riders or something have to get there and back. So it's sort of taking that in. And I think it's thinking then just taking into consideration of like things like annual leave and things. And that's not to say that there's a reason that you shouldn't do that. It's just knowing from the off. So when people start to say, oh, well, you start at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning, I'll have to take the day off. And it's like, yes, you do. And it's sort of just being aware of that in comms. And I think um, I think you need to um, be very open. I think that's it as well. Like managing expectations, I think, is always very key with any type of challenge event so that when you're on the day and facing your participants, possibly for the first time, there's no surprises. Um, and they knew what they were signing up to, as it were. And you sort of, you've been very open in your communication and sort of, this is the distance, these are the elevations, because there's quite a lot of the time. I mean, we know that we send out quite a lot of emails and no one reads things. That's why on the day, sometimes you sort of get, oh, what do you mean there's another 10 miles or things like that? And I think it's sort of being very, being very open, managing expectations and support like, the supporter journey is key. I mean, I've been on open challenge style events before where some people have like signed up to a small like hospice charity or something very close to their heart, but when they felt completely unsupported, and I know that sometimes it's very hard with smaller charities, but if this person is doing a huge event for your charity, I think it is very, like however big or small their fundraising is, they need to be treated and they need to um, feel like what they're doing is important. Um, and I know that can take, obviously that takes quite a drain sometimes on charity resources, but it's important because that person that might have just done something quite small might next year get a place in the London Marathon and then think, oh, well, that charity was great. And I think sort of nurturing your audience um, and like keeping them going through their supporter journey or whatever challenge they're doing for you is really important. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Lucy. I think that's a really good point to kind of wrap up on that people think of challenge events as, you know, the logistics have to be key, which they obviously do. But with as with all kind of fundraising the relationship management is is key as well um so yeah i think that's a, a kind of lovely point to um, wrap up on so yeah it's just left me to say thank you very much um for your time today um some super useful things there and yeah um good luck with everything for 2023 and beyond oh thank you very much for having me it was good to talk big thank you to Lucy for sharing her vast experience in challenge events and giving us some ideas on how to build out our own events portfolios. There has and always will be peaks and troughs in the event cycle, but one trend that seems to have been exacerbated by the lockdowns is a move away from international challenges to more UK-based events. Restricted travel for everyone allowed us to really appreciate what the UK had to offer. People and companies are also becoming more conscious of the financial and environmental impact of promoting international challenges. So it seems that making the most of the UK is a trend that is here to stay in the challenge events market. 
Virtual events are not a thing of a past yet, and lots of organisations are being drawn to hybrid events. Whilst it's always important to remember that running the virtual side of an event isn't free and it can be harder to engage your audience, having a virtual element to a charity challenge can bring the event to a wider audience by removing the limitations of place and travel. Knowing your audience when thinking of expanding your challenge events roster is incredibly important. You need a warm reception from your current supporters to create a foundation for a successful fundraising initiative. As challenge events are reliant on peer-to-peer fundraising, it is also important to think about what will appeal to potential sponsors. Niche events aren't always the answer, and it feels like there is a return to classic events like the Three Peaks Challenge. So thank you for listening to Charity Chat. We would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can find us on Twitter or LinkedIn to share your thoughts or email us on charitychatpodcast at gmail.com. Please do like and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and share with any colleagues or friends who may be interested. It's just left me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by a platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good is a fundraising platform helping businesses raise funds for charities through their sales. The platform makes the legal agreement needed for businesses to fundraise for themselves quick and simple, saving charities time and resource and enabling them to raise more unrestricted income. Pop to workforgood.co.uk to learn more and book a free demo. Magda Askamit for our beautiful website, check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forest of Balls for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. I've been your host, Rachel Conroy. Thank you again for listening.